0: Red Bull Racing claims its first Constructors' Championship in almost a decade when Max Verstappen chases down Lewis Hamilton after a botched pit stop. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 19, the United States Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. Max Verstappen got the perfect start from second on the grid to take a lead of the United States Grand Prix he seemed unlikely to ever relinquish. But relinquish it he did after some well applied pressure from Mercedes in the middle of the race. Red Bull Racing unexpectedly struggled on the hard tyre, enough to bring Lewis Hamilton into the equation after a safety car bunched up the field. Mercedes pounced with an undercut. Red Bull Racing responded but a faulty wheel gun lost Verstappen two places to Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. For a brief moment, it looked like Hamilton could grind out an unlikely win. But in the end, Verstappen had more than enough pace to resume the lead and take an unexpectedly hard fought victory to lead his team to the Constructors' Championship. To wrap up the second title-deciding race in as many rounds, I'm joined by F1 correspondent and presenter for F1.com, Lawrence Barretto. Lawrence, welcome back to the Strategy Report.
1: Ah, oh, Thanks very much, Michael. I want to say firstly, thank you very much for not inviting me on the Spanish Grand Prix Strategy <laughs> Report for a change. I feel like I've done my time on those reports over the years with you, and I always love doing this show. But I'm excited to be able to do um, a race that is in the circuit to <laughs> Barcelona, to Catalonia. <laughs>
0: we will be reunited one day in the future. No, I won't say that. Never again. It's all right. You're off. You're off the hook. You got a good one as well. The championship winning, one. two championship winning races in a row. How good is Formula One? It's been a while, I mean, it's been a while now that we've seen this one coming, obviously the Constructors title going to Red Bull Racing. How quickly has this season really just become after the close start we had about figuring out if anyone can even catch Red Bull? And what does that say about the... I guess, the near-term prospects of competitiveness in the sport, because the advantage they seem to have has become pretty considerable.
1: Their advantage is, you could look, argue, is as, bad, as good as it was for Mercedes in some of the mm. really dominant years of the last era. Um, they've done a phenomenal job this year um, to deliver a car that has been so competitive. But also, I think Max has just stepped his game up and has got the job done, and even out on races where Max doesn't always have the run of it has kind of got good solid points um and they you know check done doing exactly what the team need them to do and so as a combination i think they thoroughly deserve um the constructors championship this year um i knew going into the weekend i think they ferrari had to outscore them by 19 points i think the, the number was mm. and looking at the stats they'd only done it once and that was in the first race <laughs> of the year so we kind of knew that it was done and dusted or it was going to be done and dusted this weekend, and what I think Red Bull have won the last seven races. I think
0: something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and
1: yes. and that, it doesn't it oddly feel like that. Do you remember when Mercedes mm. used to win several races in a row? It genuinely <laughs> felt like it was just them winning all the time. I don't feel like I've I have, I've had that feeling, and, like, and I don't know whether it's just because they've just been great, entertaining
0: Grand great I think that has been the difference, hasn't it? We have had a lot of good races despite the results, and I remember I can't remember when. Maybe earlier, just after the mid-season break thinking how one of the sport's most dominant seasons really crept up on us, which is a really strange thing for dominance to do, but it does feel like that. So at least the racing has been good. I just want to go back that idea that this has been an impressive season. How much is the fact that last year, being previous regulations as well, was so hard fought between Red Bull and Mercedes? And Red Bull appeared to, perhaps we were wrong all along, be pushing hardest for longest last year. How much does that really emphasise the job they've done with the car this year? Or, I guess, on the other hand of that, has this whole uh, cost cap situation muddied the waters on that count a little bit?
1: I think until we get a resolution to the cost cap, it's really difficult to be mm. really fair in, in saying where where that gain has been made from Red Bull. I remember talking to Christian multiple times last year and him saying that they were throwing effort at that championship. Mm. You know, they were willing to do everything they could because who really knew? what was going to happen with the 2022 regulations and you can't we could they can't do a bmw like they, did with their they gave up on the championship to look for next year and we all saw how well that worked out so it 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 made a lot of sense for red Bull, I think to literally throw everything at it last year and then to come away this year with a car that started the year do you remember not that great well they just couldn't quite get the drivability out of it and max wasn't that happy with it and it was quite unpredictable and unreliable as well for them to turn, a, turn things around and effectively bring a, an all new package and get the most out of it so quickly is, is remarkable. Um, especially as Red Bull haven't always been able to start seasons strong. Mm. They haven't really re- reacted to regulation changes all that well in recent times. So I think that makes it all the more remarkable.
0: It is, and I guess it will be one for history to reflect on once we get some of the answers over the last 12 months. And also, of course, seeing what happens in future years with how extended this dominance may become or whether it becomes more competitive again next year. Let's have a look at the United States Grand Prix now. Uh, I guess increasingly an historical anomaly in the sense that Mercedes no longer has a stranglehold on the sport, but given it's been around for only 10 years, it's been a Lewis Hamilton track, it's been a Mercedes track in particular, since 2014, but it has has a has had a habit of generating some pretty good races. Partly because strategic variation seems pretty strong there. We tend to get two stops that kind of thing. What is it that makes this track so good for Formula One racing? Considering it's always one of the the highlights of the calendar. I think
1: it's it's the combination of corners. They've got that pretty epic run up to turn one, multiple lines through that hidden apex that the driver can't really see until very late on. You've got that really fast wow. section that everyone likens to japan suzuka's s's mm. or the maggots beckett's convex silverstone they've got that section where um that's similar to hockenheim and, and that stadium section i think they've just really thought about <laughs> the racetrack and they've used the kind of the undulation and they've moved oh, i dread to think how much tons of mud around <laughs> just to try and get a really nice circuit you know we've come here to mexico um where i am at the minute and this track can be fatter. and if you look at that compared to austin and and the real expanse of it all it's just a really impressive facility and i love how wide it is in some places and that drivers i know they don't always do it but there's options for other lines and i think that just gives people more opportunity to try and launch a move and we saw plenty of passing didn't we um in yesterday's race
0: one of the interesting things of this second half of the season has been the fact that Red Bull does have clearly the best car, but Ferrari continues to have this qualifying car that works really well. I guess that's some optimism for next year, that there is some pace somewhere to be unlocked, if only they can make it work on a Sunday. But Carlos Sainz got pole position. He's been on the wrong end, and he brought this up. It's been something he's actually been bringing up in the last couple of weeks. For so long, been on the wrong end of some really fine margins. and Finally got a fine margin in his favour over Charles Leclerc. I mean, although Red Bull had some issues in Q3 here that meant that they they weren't really on pole, what is the trick for science here? Is this him sort of finally getting to terms with the car after a difficult season for him personally? What are we learning about his position in that Ferrari team after looking so strong last year?
1: I think that Carlos was a little bit caught out with how much he had to change the way he drives this version of a Ferrari for 2022, and so it just took him longer than Charles to kind of get on top of it. And I think there was a point in the season um, where things started to turn around, where it did start to click and therefore he could then finally effectively start to build this rhythm. And I think that's why he wasn't surprised when he got Mm. And I know that sounds strange, given that it's his first poll in real conditions, like real, um, fair, outright performance conditions. But it's kind of been coming. You were saying that he has been on the wrong end it's because he's been on the wrong end because I think he's just pushing a little bit too much and he's just gone for that little bit of extra time. But he's completely aware of that. And I think what was really clever for him or really smart this time um, in Austin is that he just reined it back half a percent. And you could really tell that. And he also built the rhythm as he went through the weekend. Even on Friday, he was talking about how he wasn't quite comfortable with the balance of the car just yet. And yet he was really quick. And I think it's really interesting that he was saying that when he was at quite a high level, really, the bar was really quite high. So I think that that feeds his confidence. I think he knows that Ferrari have got a good qualifying car. He knows that Sunday afternoons are going to be more tricky. But he also, and I know all racing jobs about themselves, <laughs> he has got a phenomenal level of confidence in his own ability. Like, he genuinely thinks he is the He is world champion quality. So if he goes out there and says, "I think I can get pole," he genuinely thinks he can do. And he's finally got himself into a place with that team. He's got the engineers around him, um, who are kind of communicating at a really high level that he can now go and extract those extra half a percent that he needs to, if he's going to beat Charles, hugely talented driver, but also Max Verstappen, who actually Red Bull, their qualifying car is almost as good as Ferrari's qualifying car now, and obviously they've got different cars, but. You know what I mean. And I think that's what's interesting is that even with all of that pressure, he's managing to deliver.
0: It is an interesting thing how those cars might compare over the last couple of years. Unfortunately for Carlos, uh, the I guess pole at Austin is a little bit cursed. It's five of the last seven races that whoever started second has taken the lead into the first uh, lap. And that was very much the case in this race, even before he ended up getting punted by George Russell and his race ending almost immediately. Very upsetting. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because it does seem like such a massive advantage to be starting on the inside of this track. You mentioned you know, the different lines you can take just into turn one alone. I mean, it's part of why racing is good there and why the first lap tends to be pretty interesting to watch. Is that something that needs to change? Is that a weird thing that needs to be considered? I think so. I think there's a few tracks where I think it's slightly unfair
1: that the, the P2 slot is the better slot, even though you're several metres behind uh, the pole slot. So I do think it would be good to... Discuss whether you can change it around because it doesn't seem fair that you're you've got done the best job in qualifying, but you don't have the the best advantage best advantage mm. on a on a Sunday afternoon. So yeah, I do think it's worth probably having a look at
0: it. Now Russell, who ended up hitting science into that first corner with a mistake, I think he owned up to pretty quickly. Uh, it was a I guess an interesting footnote on what's been a difficult month or so for Russell, really since the mid-season break, but the last few races in particular. He's not been extracting the maximum of the car in the same way that Lewis has managed to. What are we making of this? Is this that the car is is starting to become more competitive in a certain direction that perhaps doesn't suit him? Is the honeymoon over a little bit for George Russell in this sense and now sort of the real work maybe has to begin if Mercedes is going to start taking steps forward?
1: I don't think the honeymoon's over just yet, but I do think that we are moving into a period now where actually Lewis is starting to get on top of the car a bit better. And I think in the early part of the season, I think there was some frustration. I think he's kind of almost admitted that there were times when he was thinking to himself, have I still got it? Am I still performing at a peak level? And that will have a knock-on effect on your performance, whatever you say, even if it's subconsciously. Whereas I think in recent races, particularly like you said after the summer break, Lewis's levels just stepped it up. And I think that rather than George's level going down, I just think that that's a new thing for him to deal with, isn't it? He obviously, like you said, honeymoon period, came in, was the golden child, all of those <laughs> runs of top five finishes. He was the guy who was getting podiums. He was the guy who was doing it all. And suddenly, Lewis has kind of moved ahead of him. And I guess that is a little bit destabilizing. And because that that moment with Carlos is, is very unusual mm. for him, really. Like, it's not... Obviously, we've seen him involved in incidents before, but something something so simple and such a mistake like that is just not the kind of thing that he does. But that would suggest, I think, that he just isn't comfortable with the car and he wasn't comfortable with that car the whole weekend. Lewis was just, for whatever reason, much more on top of it. Like you said, he loves that circuit anyway. But even on the bumps, I think Lewis just had a bit more of a control over it. I know that car's tricky over the bumps.
0: <laughs> And it does probably is telling in that context that it was Lewis around his outside that he was probably a little bit more focused on into turn one. So something to watch, certainly. Lewis going around the outside meant that he was second by the end of the first lap. And suddenly, if you'd sort of just woken up, you might have been tempted to believe it was 2021 and the competition was very strong again. Uh, At least for a few seconds, but it was pretty clear before long that Red Bull still had that pace. There was an ambitious attempt to undercut by Lewis Hamilton, just to shake the tree, I guess. he was way too far for anything to work. But on that hard tyre in the middle stint of this race, suddenly it did actually look competitive again, which was really interesting. I don't think anyone really knew what to make of that, whether it was real what we were looking at or not. How heartening is this, zooming out a little bit just from this race alone? Is this for Mercedes, considering they've brought that major upgrade here... Uh, they might even still be a little bit more to come in Mexico, considering the front wing they couldn't use this weekend for some legality reasons. Is, it, is that a strong sign for Mercedes, the pace in parts of this race, or is that still six-tenths gap in qualifying really the thing that needs to that is telling and needs addressing?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've got a draggy car, haven't they? And so I, in the short term, trying to get on top of that straight line speed issue and, like you said, 0.6 seconds on the straight is not going to be solved in the short term. But I do think that this was a race again where they brought an upgrade, again where the upgrade, you know, delivered. I know they didn't race it, but it delivered what they wanted it to do when, when they were running it. I think that it it was a huge weekend for them. I was out when I was out for dinner last night in Austin, I um I saw some senior Mercedes people and they were gutted, you know, gutted by the result because I while I don't think they well, I think they appreciated they didn't have the outright pace to win the race. They were gutted because they were in the fight and didn't win. And I think that's the first time really this season where they've been in a position to genuinely fight for a win. And if things had gone slightly right, they could have won that race. And I think that shows, if anything, their disappointment, how far they've come this year and how close they are to knocking on the door of, you know, potentially from the the start of next season, Ferrari and Red Bull and making it the proper three-way fight we all thought we were going to have this year. I was... I genuinely think they've made a massive step forward and I think they are starting to believe again that they are almost there. There's a little bit, they know, just a little bit, but they're almost there.
0: It's, it's been my sense, and I don't know if it was yours as well, as well on top of that, that it feels like they are more optimistic about the direction they're heading. I remember at the start of the year, first half, maybe even the first three quarters of this season, they really were keen to emphasise that, you know, that they, they'll fix one problem and there'll be another one and they're no longer sure what the key problem of the car is. Is that the faith they seem to have now that next year, whatever problems were afflicting this car at a minimum will no longer be part of their campaign?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you've kind of hit on it, that the language has changed and they use the the way that they carry themselves has changed. It's all much, much more positive. You go into that hospitality and you go into the garage and they are more jeered up. They are more buoyed because I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. They're not in that phase like you talked about at the start of the year where they didn't really know what was going on. when was the last time Mercedes were in that mm. position really where they just they were trying mm. all these directions and hitting brick walls. So I do think that they have while I am not sure that they are certain how they can guarantee almost um the best car next year and whether it is feasible within the constructs of uh, the constraints of the budget cap, I do think that they can see a way out of this bit of problem. And I think that is a large reason why Lewis Hamilton has has, has kind of got his confidence and his excitement and his hope back again because I think that there was a period of time when, look, he he needs the team, right? He needs the team to be pulling with him. He always talks about how well they work together but when he can see that they're down and when he can see that they can't find solutions, that's naturally going to have an impact on him. So I think the very fact that he, um, I love talking about body language, but I think the very fact that he has kind of changed the way he feels about the team and their performance and their opportunities it speaks volumes.
0: It will be really interesting to see how that one evolves into next year. The second pit stop was what was really crucial. I really like this because there was not necessarily a guarantee it was going to work. Hamilton was close enough to pull the undercut trigger, which he did. But it seemed more that it was responsive to the fact that Verstappen didn't seem to fully understand why his car wasn't driving in the way they expected it to. Wasn't happy on the hard tie. That was sort of fundamentally the problem. Didn't seem to be a more technical issue than that. Uh, That would have worked on its own, even had Verstappen not had such a slow stop with a wheel gun problem. These problems are rare, but they do tend to happen occasionally. And it's just so happened that it really worked in Hamilton's favour, gave us what was a pretty good ending to the race. Now, I know Ferrari had issues in this race, obviously. One of their drivers didn't make it past the first corner. uh, Charles Leclerc ended up penalised on the grid and had to start 12th, had a pretty good recovery, thanks in part to the safety cars. But... How uh, I'm really interested in the power dynamic between Mercedes and Ferrari now, as I guess the team that will be hoping to take the fight to Red Bull next year, maybe even just in the last races of this year, considering second in the championship is still just about alive with three races to go. How much does Mercedes really well executing a race like this, absolutely maximizing their opportunities, kind of put the spotlight back on Ferrari for what's been... a a little bit of a wasted year, all things considered.
1: I think that it's going to start to put the spotlight on Ferrari in a bigger way. I don't want to get too carried away by just this race for Mercedes being a mm. good one, but I do think it's the start of some momentum. And I think that they are going to finish the season strongly. And I do think that come the end of this year, when we are kind of going through a debrief and we're looking at like who who's kind of really struggled this year, I think Ferrari are going to come under massive pressure because you called it a wasted year. I, I'm not quite sure it's as harsh as that because mm. I think there have been highs. Look, at the end of the day, they're fighting for pole almost every weekend. That's a, a massive game change. They've won races this year with both drivers. They, they, they kind of can be in the mix. And at worst, for much of the year, they've been the second best team. So look, from a, from a trying to make a step forward, I think it's a good thing. I think that they want more. And they should have got more this year for various reasons. And we've talked about it a lot operationally, strategically. You know, we could sit here for a whole podcast, I think, and talk about, the, you know, the things that Ferrari could do better. But I think that Mattia is going to be under pressure over the winter. You know, John Elkin wants success quickly. And something is probably going to have to change, I would have thought, even if it's just the way that they run, structurally run the team um, over the winter, because they can't afford to have um, another year like this. Because the aren't going to aren't gonna mess it up twice in no, a row, I don't think. You know, this, I genuinely think for this year this is a blip for Mercedes. They're not gonna make the same mistake twice. So if Ferrari want to be in the fight next year and it's gonna be a harder fight, if Merck are in it with Red Bull, then they've gotta they've gotta change things and they've got to change it quickly. But they've also got to do it because they've got to keep Carlos and Charles happy. They've got to give them hope that They've got these long contracts, but they've got to give them hope that they are going to get it right, and they are. This is the best place for them to be playing for the World Championship in the years to come.
0: Yeah, wasted opportunity is a better way to describe than a wasted season. I think that's absolutely fair enough, considering some of the things we've seen this year, good and bad. uh, Charlotte Kerr in the end Did have a pretty good race All things considered They capitalised well On that first safety car Because they were one of the The few teams to realise Pretty early It's rare that we can say This about Ferrari That the medium tyre Was working pretty well They had a good read On the tyre They did go through Plans A to E in the end In strategy We'll never know What they all were But uh, you know They picked the right one In the end And And as a result He got a podium From 12th Which is pretty impressive But let's talk about The second safety car in particular, the first was for Valtteri Bottas. More bad luck, I suppose you could say, for Alfa Romeo. The gust of wind. Not the first time the gust of wind's been invoked this season as the reason for a crash. One of my great favourite driver's excuses. But that second safety car in particular has been the controversial one, hasn't it? Lance Stroll, Fernando, Alonso. Incredibly, let's get this out of the way first. Alonso recovered from pretty much the back after this crash into the points to seventh. Technically, this is now under review. It's been thrown out. It may be reviewed before the next race. But... Let's start with the incident. How did you see that incident, first of all? Because it's been really, interestingly to me, quite divisive in ways I didn't expect, including the drivers themselves not seemingly too fussed about it.
1: No, and that is probably the most surprising thing of all. Yeah. That the, neither of them kind of seemed too fussed about it, um, particularly someone of Fernando's, yeah. you know, character. <laughs> um, look, I guess the way you look at it, the stewards have given them penalties. they clearly blame. Lance for the incident, when you look on the onboard, he does look and then does turn left to defend and mm. it's, quite a, it's quite a steering input. And it was quite a big impact. And for, for Fernando, he was super lucky on multiple points. He was lucky that he obviously lifted in the air and that was quite an impact when he dropped to the floor. And even when I talked to the TV pen, I talked to him in the TV pen afterwards, so that was one hour, an hour and a half afterwards, he said he felt fine to start with, but was starting to get stiff. Mm. So I imagine he was in a bit of pain today but he was just very lucky in the way that the car then went along the barrier and it didn't flip or it didn't like spew over he was just very fortunate in the way it happened um it's a difficult one isn't it because i think if if fernando had if fernando really couldn't have done anything in my view like he did he went for the move like and it was very clear what he was doing he made one clear move to the left so i don't know Um, I don't know, really, what to say about it. Yeah, I'll just agree with the stewards and say that (laughs) Alonso did deserve a penalty. There we go. Let's leave it at that.
0: It's good to have a a judicial body to agree with because it could just completely absolve you of the need to make decisions. I I don't think that's fair enough. I do think that's fair enough. I thought what was interesting about Alonso here, he'd already been on what turned out to be a really good strategy, fundamentally a one-stop, got rid of the medium tyre during the two safety car periods between that very brief period of racing we had. I was going to run, and did run all the way to the end on the hard tyre, and still recovered into the points despite the crash. Also a great testament to the quality of the Alpine car, I guess, that it managed to continue racing after that crash. I mean, I feel like we ask, and he answers this every weekend, but was this the best race of Fernando Alonso's career, or what? <laughs> oh, my word.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're right. Fernando will probably tell you it was the best race of his career. Um, and actually on this occasion he did a phenomenal <laughs> job really didn't it was I, good. I, I think it like you said was good with a damaged car that kind of fight back could have been an even better result he's been on a pretty decent run of late as well i i am um, it was one of his better it was one of his better races for, for sure um, <laughs> and he was so smiley in the tv pen like so happy with like his effort he was i think he genuinely felt like that was a great Job in a day in the office, but ironically didn't declare it as the best way to go. <laughs> so uh, make of that what you will.
0: It is an interesting point. Uh, of course, after this a Haas protest, weirdly enough, uh, he had that position fundamentally stripped of him, may get it back with a protest on Thursday, counter-protest by Alpine. I'll have a good counter-protest. We'll see that later in the week ahead of the Mexico Grand Prix, I suppose. He's actually put quite a lot of stock in that, hasn't he, on social media. So this is going to be a test of the direction of the sport. I guess that shows if he's not calling it the best race of the year, he's calling, calling it the most influential one in the history of Formula 1. So I guess we've got got a bit of gravitas here. He wasn't the only one, though, to benefit from the safety cars. Vettel and Magnussen both did, and they ended up being one of the highlights of this race. Let's talk about Sebastian Vettel first. Made his first stop behind the Bottas safety car moved up the order so much, in fact, that he was leading the race for a little bit for his 3,500th lap in the lead and first lap in the lead. That's the less celebrated one, I suppose. Unfortunately, a botched pit stop from Aston Martin when he fell down the order, although he did still recover to score points. A couple of front things from this one. Where is Aston Martin at at the moment? Because it feels like all of a sudden, in the last three races maybe, last month, they have a car that is, okay, it's not at the head of the midfield or anything, but but is really punchy in the right conditions and it feels like Vettel's really tapped into that.
1: Yeah, Aston have massively turned it around. I think when they kind of introduced the, their B that car they said that it was going to take some time for them to understand the package and unlock it but they felt like there was huge potential and these days in one with the lack of testing and the lack of tires to do enough runs and friday practice and we've actually had a lot of fridays this year where the various things have happened that you can't actually get like real good back to back testing it takes time you can't you can't get the performance out of the car or the new package that quickly so i think what we're really seeing right now is the fruit of that initial work coming through. And you're seeing a driver in Sebastian Vettel who, since he's retired, it's taken all of the... Or, sorry, announced his decision to retire. It's taken all of the pressure off him. You can see it's completely changed the way that he's operating at this weekend. He's driving with a, a freedom that is meaning. he's not second-guessing himself. And that's why we're not seeing those silly spins that we were seeing quite often in his career. And he is a very talented driver. So obviously, if he's got a package that he knows how to get the most out of his feedback. The team have always said it's been really useful. It isn't surprising that it's him who's getting the most out of the package. Um And to be honest, that was a race. I mean, we were talking joking about Fernando Alonso, one of his best races ever. <laughs> I genuinely think that was one of the best performances we've seen from Vettel in that race for years. And it's really sad, I think, that he started to build this body of work uh, It is to, to close his career. Of course, nice to end on a high. But I do wonder whether he's thinking, oh, you know what? Actually, have I retired like a like a year too early? Because if Aston end this year on a high, and imagine if they start in this kind of spot next year, kind of punching towards the head of the midfield, and are in a position to really, they've got the budget, they've got the facilities to make those steps. Actually, Sebastian could have maybe found himself buying for yeah. fifth, sixth, seventh regularly next year. Um, And he's kind of given that to Fernando Alonso. Funny how things change,
0: eh? Yeah, it is. It really is. You can't help but think that as you see him racing people, who used to be more his contemporaries, I guess, on the track. And every now and then he just lights up. It was a great end to the race with Kevin Magnussen. I think Jensen Button said it was some of the best racing he's seen, I don't know, just from Vettel or in general in a long time. And even Kevin Magnussen said one of the best bits of racing he's ever enjoyed, even though he finished second in this battle. And his was also a great strategy, similar idea, ran really long to the end. That's why he was losing pace uh, and ultimately was overtaken by Sebastian Vettel towards the end of the race. But it was a well-judged strategy for Haas and what's been a pretty barren second half of this year. How needed is that for that team? Putting aside the fact it was the home race, that's always a bonus, I suppose, particularly given that, okay, they've got their side set higher now with new sponsorship, but they still don't know who's going to be driving in that second seat. It does always feel like a team that sort of lacked a little bit of, I don't want to say, necessarily say direction, but real forward impetus. I think it was a huge
1: result for the team. And, you know, it's ultimately not going to make that much of a difference in the constructors' championship in terms of position and prize money. At the moment, they need to do this more regularly. But I think what was significant about this one is, like you said, ending that run, Austria was the last time that they scored points. It's mad, frankly, that that mm. was the last time that they had scored. They have a car that really should be in the fight for points on a regular basis. But as we've said often, it's such a small team. They've got such a small, um, you know, strategic group, operational group that that when things go wrong, it takes them much longer to to get things sorted. But so, which is what was so great about their performance in Austin on Sunday is operationally they nailed it. Like they got everything right. They they tried it. They hit all their marks. Kevin was really happy with all the decision making that happened. And I think when they can do that and and um, they get the most out of themselves and they are in this really efficient little team, that's when they're at their, their strongest and their most threatening. And so I think it's really rewarding to see that team get some points because they've had a tough couple of years, obviously, and I think that they deserve a bit more than what they've got so far this year.
0: Yeah, I think everyone would agree with that. And hopefully, everything closes up a little bit more next year. Really interesting United States Grand Prix. Great race to win the constructors' title in the end, not just more dominance. And maybe we can have that trend all the way through to the end of the year as well. Wouldn't it be nice? Lawrence, so great to chat with you. Thanks for joining me.
1: No worries. Thanks very much for having me, Michael. And thanks for picking a great race for me to chat about. <laughs>
0: quietly, suddenly, and perhaps unexpectedly dominant. That's how we might summarise Red Bull Racing's season. After taking the title down to the wire last year and initially struggling to get the best out of the RB18 early this campaign, it steamrolled the competition with 8 straight wins and 14 victories from the last 16 races. Is this the start of a new dynasty? Only time will tell. Thanks very much to Lawrence Barreto for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Xero app store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork. And our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll be back next week to wrap up the Mexico City Grand Prix.